0: This morning we are continuing our sermon series, Why Jesus, as we walk through the second chapter of the Gospel of Mark. This morning we're reading from verses 18 through 22. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you are someone who spends much time watching the news... It may seem as if our world is like a drunk driver heading for a high-speed crash. From all the wildfires that have been tearing up our country, especially the one most recently in Maui that's left so many people dead, to the record-breaking temperatures that we've been experiencing all over the world, to the historic tropical storm that just crashed into Southern California, causing such devastation and havoc, to the senselessness of the ongoing war in Ukraine, to the rise of so many autocratic regimes around the world, and the decline in democracy, to the, the, the painful increase in interest rates, to the recent collapse of so many banks, to yet another wave of COVID, to the uncertainty, frightening uncertainty, of the possibilities of artificial intelligence to the outrageous cost of a Taylor Swift concert ticket. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to be concerned about, isn't there? I mean, on top of that, the, the overall tension and, and, and polarization and fear of others seems to be at an all-time high in our society as we head into yet another nightmarish election season that will surely be marked by... Ugliness and pomposity and lies, it's hard not to feel pretty gloomy sometimes. And in a world that seems to be heading straight to hell in a handbasket, it's hard for us to know as Christians what we ought to be doing in the midst of all that. I mean, what's an appropriate response to all the violence and incivility and suffering? and hostility going on in our world. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of things we, we probably ought to be doing. Uh, a good place to start might be spending a lot more time in prayer and reading our Bibles and a lot less time watching all these news stations that just love to regale us with all the latest violence, destruction, and bad news going on in our world, which I think is actually one of the main contributors of all the fear and polarization going on in our society. But perhaps one of the things that we could do that most reflects our faith and, and, and demonstrates to the world the hope that we have as Christians is to turn up the music, heat up the oven, pop open the champagne, and throw a party. Sounds crazy, I know. It sounded crazy to the people in Jesus' day as well. After all, ever since the 8th century BC, the The people of Israel had been run over by one world power after another. Even after they returned from exile in Babylon, the great hopes of their nation being restored to its former glory were never fulfilled. And now it was the the hated Romans who violently controlled their land and oppressed their people. And the long-awaited Messiah was nowhere to be found, nor was the messianic banquet that He was supposed to host when He arrived. And so to to devoted Jews in Jesus' day, many of them believed that one of the most important things they could do in the midst of this situation was to fast, to go from sunup to sundown without food or drink as a religious act of repentance, mourning, humility, and devotion to God. The Pharisees even fasted twice a week, and they believed that, that through such pious acts, they could actually facilitate the arrival of God's coming kingdom. Apparently, John the Baptist's disciples also fasted, which isn't really much of a surprise considering the ascetic nature of their leader who lived on locusts and wild honey. I mean, surely their fasting was a part of John's ministry of repentance as they attempted to prepare the people of Israel for the coming of the Messiah, whom John said was on his way. But then Jesus and his disciples come along and rather than fast, they just kept going to parties. In fact, if you recall from the Gospel of John, Jesus' very first miracle was turning ordinary water into spectacular wine at a wedding so that the party could continue. And Jesus just kept partying with all the wrong people, with with tax collectors like Levi and, and, and prostitutes The kind of people that the Pharisees were certain were going to be excluded from the Messianic Feast. And who were surely the reason people of Israel were in such a mess. I mean, didn't Jesus care about his country? Didn't Jesus want God to to restore the nation and kick out the Romans? Then why, Jesus, are your disciples not fasting? Well, in response, Jesus says the wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? Now, you have to understand that that a wedding in a Palestinian village in these times was a, a, a huge affair. I mean, after the ceremony, the bride and the groom did not head off on their honeymoon. Instead, they would stay in the groom's home. And there would be incredible feasting and rejoicing with all of their family and all of their friends for an entire week. It was the biggest event in a person's life. I mean, weddings were so important that even the religious scholars were exempted from their study of the law in order to attend. Nothing was allowed to diminish the joy of the feast, not even religious piety. So it would not only have been very insulting, but completely absurd for someone to start fasting while the groom was still hosting the party. What Jesus was subtly saying here is that they were not very good at recognizing the time. See, people kept thinking that they had to try to convince God through their pious acts to to send the Messiah and usher in the kingdom. But in the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom of God had already broken into the world for those who had eyes to see. The great banquet was already underway, the Messianic feast was happening, and everyone was invited. And that was a reason for great rejoicing. To refuse to celebrate was a failure to recognize that in the person of Jesus, God at last had come among His people and all of God's promises were being fulfilled, if not necessarily in the way they expected. And of course, there would come a day when Jesus, the bridegroom, would be taken away from them and He would be nailed to a cross. That would be a time for fasting and for mourning and, and repentance. But on the third day, Jesus would rise from the dead, kicking off a, a celebration of, of in heaven of feasting and festivities like the world has never seen. And the risen Savior is inviting all of us sinners to join the party. to to celebrate the victory of the Lamb of God who was slain but now lives and to help our world learn how to recognize the time. You see, what distinguishes Christians from other people is not that God gives more good gifts to us than he gives to others or, or that life is somehow easier for us. On the contrary, following Jesus often makes our lives a little more challenging. And the rain falls and the sun shines on the just and the unjust. No, what makes us different is that we know what time it is that in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God has already come among us and the messianic feast has already begun. And we know the host of the party the one from whom all blessings flow, who takes broken hearts and and broken lives and he he fills them with new possibilities and new life. Jesus enters into all the ordinary moments in our lives that the joys and the sorrows, the the hopes and the fears, the, the successes and the failures. And in his presence, ordinary things become extraordinary. Sinners become saints. Enemies become friends. What was lost becomes found. What was dead becomes alive again. And ordinary dinner parties become a participation and a great banquet going on in heaven. The risen Savior has come among us and has promised to always be with us. And therefore, we always have a reason for hope. Because we know that nothing can ultimately defeat His goodwill for our lives, not even death. And nothing reflects the hope that we have in Jesus quite like a good party. This is why we had that kickoff celebration here two weeks ago, and why we hosted the Ukraine Freedom Freedom Festival last weekend. It's why we went to Beer and Hymns on Monday night and had a ball and and why we had the parent summer supper soiree on Wednesday night over at the clubhouse. It's why we're going to have a lunch punch on Tuesday, why we we have IPC Connect events every month. It's why we're going to gather out at the Children's Fresh Air Farm later this fall to dedicate the, the new aquatic center and to celebrate 100 years of ministry in that place. And it's why we gather for worship every Sunday so we can continue to celebrate the greatest news that the world has ever known and the hope that we have in Jesus. Now this doesn't mean that we go through our lives living in denial. After all, our world is far from perfect as are our lives, as if any of us are not aware of that. But, But that does not mean that we go through our lives without hope, because we know that the ultimate battle has already been won, and that Jesus will make all things right in the end. And so we can be honest about our sorrows and our struggles because we know that Jesus is with us, and He will see us through. In fact, He'll even use those sorrows and struggles to transform us more into His own image. And as He does, we are called to bear witness to the risen Savior by the way that we live our lives. So that in response to our hope and our joy, other people start to ask questions of us just as they did of Jesus and His disciples. When I was a, a teenager growing up in Murraysville, Pennsylvania, just outside Pittsburgh, my dad would often go to the 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 the, the, um, the clo- what's it the laundromat? What's it called? The dry cleaners. That's what it's called. <laughs> I never go there. I forget what it's called. My dad would often go to this one dry cleaners in town, and he would pick up and drop off his clothes. And the people there learned to recognize him. But one day, he went into the dry cleaners, and and the woman behind the counter said to him, you know what, every time you come in here, you're just so joyful and full of life. Why is that? And he said, well, you have to understand, I, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who, who died for my sins and who rose from the grave, that I might have eternal life. And and no matter how bad things might seem, I know that Jesus is with, with me, working for my good. And he's given me the most incredible life. More blessings than I can even count. How could I be anything but joyful? True story. Now, I wonder... What do people see when we walk into their stores? Or perhaps more importantly, what do people see when they walk into our church? Joy or gloom? Hope or fear? Do they see people who look askance at strangers? who look down on those who don't dress the right way or act the right way or vote the right way? Do they see people who only want to talk to those they already know and who just want to make sure they get to sit in their pew? Or do they see people who know what time it is? Who are so filled with joy that everything we do feels like a celebration, that we want more people to be a part of because we know that the risen Savior is here among us and that nothing can separate us from his love. Well, the only way we can ever possibly live with that kind of joys is if we surrender our whole life to Jesus. Otherwise, our mood and our attitude and our actions will always be determined by our circumstances. And one of the reasons that so many of us are struggling under our circumstances, is we just keep trying to squeeze a little bit of Jesus into our lives. We try to sprinkle him like salt on the parts of our lives that are not the way we wish they would be, hoping maybe he'll just give those areas a little boost. But we want him to leave everything else alone. But Jesus said that's like trying to sew a a new piece of cloth onto an old garment. When it gets washed, that new part will shrink and it will tear the clothing in two. Or it's like trying to pour new wine into old wineskins. That young wine is still fermenting and as it expands, it will burst that old skin that's become hard and brittle. No, new wine requires a new vessel In other words, like I said last week, we cannot remain where we are and still follow Jesus. For He did not come to give our lives just a little makeover, but to give us a whole new life. Behold, I am making all things new, Jesus said. Anyone in Christ is a new creation, Paul writes. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And our world is in such desperate need of new life, isn't it? I mean, just look around. The racism and the cruelty, the the fear and the hatred, the violence and the greed, the, the suffering and the poverty. Our world doesn't just need a little makeover. We need a whole new creation let's tell the truth. The modern world's promise of perpetual progress was a lie. The postmodern world's promise of blissful tolerance was a farce. Humanism cannot heal our sinful hearts. Technology cannot transform evil into good. Liberalism cannot fix what is wrong with our world. Conservatism cannot fix what is wrong with our world. Politics cannot save us. Even religion cannot save us. Are any of us still confused about this? Now, there is but one hope for our world and one hope only, and that is Jesus Christ alone. But we cannot squeeze Jesus into our puny little dreams for our world or our country or even our lives. Instead, Jesus just keeps inviting us into his dream, which is so much bigger than any of us can imagine. It's called the kingdom of God. And it's a celebration like you've never seen. And Jesus is already pouring the wine of the kingdom, the new wine for those who, who know what time it is. And remember, Jesus only serves the good stuff. But be very sure that new wine cannot be poured into old vessels that refuse to change because they cannot contain it. No, a new creation is required if you want to join this party. So don't you think it's about time to start taking your faith more seriously, to commit your life more fully to Jesus, and to start living with the hope and the joy of the kingdom. After all, the doors to the party will not remain open forever. So do not delay. After all, the best is yet to come. Amen.